first of all, maybe we can say that we had to uh, make this take twice because I didn't come up with something in the first time. But I now came up with something and that is, I think having fun with what you do is equally as important as discipline to become good. And I think there's too much emphasis on discipline. When you sit on the couch and you know you should go to the gym, but you don't want to, then it's the time for discipline. But in the past, I tried to go through my whole workday with discipline and doing stuff I didn't want to do, just because I thought this is how it's supposed to work. After a while, I realized that this just makes you feel miserable. There's nothing really good to find there and it never stops feeling miserable. So I think you should search for something that you enjoy. And I think most people that really get good at something, they tend to enjoy it at least some of the time. Welcome to the Coffee and Coding podcast, where we discuss all things app development. I'm your host, Rob J, and in this episode, I talk to Florian Wolfer, aka Coding Inflow. We talk about how he got into coding, why he started his YouTube channel, his thoughts on Jetpack Compose, whether or not it's too late for you to start your own YouTube channel, little hint there, it's definitely not, and much, much more. Now on to the show. The first thing that I, I'm personally interested in, right, is so I, I've known who you are for a while, mostly because when I started doing the podcast, you know, I started talking to Mitch and then I saw that you were talking to Mitch and you had a cool name because I thought it was Coding, Coding and Flow was a cool name. So I was like, oh, what's this guy about? But what it seems like is, I don't know the right way to term it, but like in that kind of bubble, right, of like, you know, Android YouTubers and Twitter and all that kind of stuff, you seem like this very mysterious guy and nobody seems to know much about you. So my first question is, Outside of coding, because we know that, you know, coding is your thing. Who is Florian? Yeah, so uh, I think I'm a pretty boring guy, actually. I like to do a lot of sports. So I do uh, weightlifting in the gym. I started doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu recently. Nice. I saw that on your Instagram. Fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I go running. So um, I do sports pretty much every day of the week. I go out sometimes, I um, but I don't drink anymore. So I'm a pretty boring guy, I would say. I try to be disciplined. I have a few friends, but not a lot. I'm a typical introvert guy. But yeah, I would say I'm pretty happy most of the time. So it's working out for me. All right. It doesn't sound that much dissimilar to me. Like I mostly like gym stuff. I probably have like three actual friends that like actual friends, not just like, you know, people that I've spoken to once. But yeah, I I feel like that's okay. I don't think you have to have like a hundred friends. Yeah, I've tried it in the past when I was younger. I had a lot of people around me, but I uh, felt like this actually, uh, it actually, uh, didn't make me happier and it's it's also difficult to um to really be yourself when there are too many influences around you i feel like so the more i get quiet and the more i get into solitude the more i really do uh, the more i really figure out stuff that i really want to do and what really interests me and when you have too many people around you then sometimes they influence you too much at least this is the case for me and i think my life is better with less people around me than it was in the past. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I think there's there's a saying that's like a the the five yeah, the people, average of the five people around you, right? Yeah, that's one I couldn't get. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I would agree with that. So you should choose your five people very wisely because it makes a big impact. I I want to jump into the coding stuff as well, right? But so something that you told me over Twitter, and so this is what I was interested in is you didn't start. So how old are you now? If that's not a rude question, I'm now thirty one. And I started coding at 
Almost 27. Yes. So that's what I wanted to get at, right? Because that's super interesting. So you started coding at 27. So what made you decide to get into coding and specifically Android? Okay. So um, the reason was the thing I did before was boring me to death. Actually, I hated it. Now, as I already said before the podcast, um, the thing I did before, I don't want to say specifically what it was. It's not top secret. It's just something I don't want to broadcast into the world. But the thing I did before was boring me. And it also was a a self-employed thing. So I had this option to stop from one day of the other, basically. And I kind of burned out doing it. And then I thought, uh, first of all, I also studied business economics, but I don't have anything to do with that at all anymore. I never used it. (laughs) It was a complete waste of time. But I have this business economics degree. Anyway, I kind of burned out doing the thing I did before. So I really sat down for a day or two and thought about what am I willing to do pretty much every day for hours on end without hating my life. And I was taking everything into consideration, even stuff I've never done before. Like I thought maybe I wanted to do music or something like that. And then I remembered that I started coding as a child. Actually, I bought some coding books, one or two books, and I started trying this out and had fun doing it. And we also had some coding lessons in school. And again, I had fun doing that. A lot of fun, actually. But unfortunately, I never followed through in my youth with this hobby, which makes me a little bit sad in hindsight, because um, people who really get very good at something, they often start young. But I basically found back to this hobby or to this passion later in life at almost 27. So I thought maybe this is something I want to do. So I started teaching myself how to code online. And yeah, then I sticked with it. And I still find it fun. And and one interesting point is also we talked earlier about um, how it can be problematic having too many people around you. And this is an example for this because the reason why I didn't follow through with programming in my youth, I think to a big part was because I tried to fit in with other people. It was not considered cool at all where I was coming from. It was uh, computers in general was com- was considered a nerd thing, and at this age I had really low self esteem and I tried to fit in. So I did everything to fit in basically, and this is why I didn't do anything with programming at this time, and spent my time basically uh, picking up a lot of bad habits like smoking and drinking alcohol because it was considered cool at this time. And yeah, this is an example of what I mean. If you have too many influences around you, sometimes it can uh, make you not do uh, the stuff you actually want to do. At least for me, this was the case. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And that's super interesting. So when you started doing the programming, just out of curiosity, did you feel like this? Is, I'm doing this nerd thing or were you over it by then and you were just like, this is the thing I want to do? You mean at 27 or 26? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when you started doing it. By then I realized that you can't really care about what others think about this. You have to absolutely do what you intrinsically enjoy, otherwise you won't get happy with it. So by then I was over with it. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, that totally makes sense. All right, so then when you start, so you started coding, right? So how did that lead to creating the YouTube channel? Because I would imagine like for a lot of people, their first thought when they start coding is not like, I'm going to start a YouTube channel. It's usually, I'm going to do this thing to try and get a job. Yeah, I uh, I started the YouTube channel almost immediately after I started learning to code with no experience. I think like two months afterwards, 
So I think I started in July with coding and I uh, created my YouTube channel in October of the same year. And I mean, I just intuitively understood that there is a, um, that it makes sense to build like a personal brand around something. I, it just made sense to me. And also I thought if I'm learning this stuff anyway, why not just make videos about the stuff I learned? and make some ad revenue on the side. So I had this idea that I learn, but still make some money in the learning process. And this actually worked because YouTube is, is very easy to get started with making ad revenue. But this sounds easier than it was. So it's not just making videos about the stuff you already know. It's not like it doesn't take much time. It's actually a lot of effort to create these videos, but my channel grew pretty quickly. So I sticked with it because I saw that it worked and It just made sense to me that there is some benefit of having an audience and a brand. And I would recommend that everyone should create content about not only about program. If you are not into programming that then about whatever you're doing, because I think it always makes sense to build a brand and some kind of authority around what you're doing. It's always helpful. Yeah. I mean, I could definitely agree with that. I, I guess. The follow-up for that one would be then, like, how quickly did this channel start to grow? Was that, like, organic or were you doing stuff to kind of promote it? No, it was all organic. I never put an ad anywhere. And I also never went on a podcast before. It's the first time because I was always a bit anxious about it. No, it was organic. But, of course, it's like a snowball. It starts slowly. And the first hundred takes a long time. The first thousand subscribers. But then it goes faster and faster up to a certain point. But... I noticed very early that this works because I thought if I can get a hundred subscribers organically, then there's no reason to think why I couldn't get a hundred, uh, yeah, hundred thousand if I uh, give it enough time. So even at a at hundred subscribers, I already know that this channel can be big because it made sense. Yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. So, that, so then I guess, so something I'm going to jump around a little bit, but something that I'm interested in. So you you started creating the content it grew quite quickly organically and i've heard people say that there's ways to like specifically make content that performs well on youtube and i've heard people talk about like you know how you name the title and how you do the thumbnail and all that kind of stuff so from having done it so long like have you found things that work really well in terms of youtube or is it just you just put stuff out and people find it mm. My content is actually not performing that well the only uh, only thing that i get is a lot of subscribers But in terms of click-wise, I think Android is a bit of a difficult topic and uh, coding tutorials in general, because they're not entertaining at all. You cannot binge watch them. People search for them and they watch them and then then they don't have anything to do with that anymore. So it's really hard to get clicks with this kind of content. But yeah, I don't think I have any special tricks when it comes to that. Of course, there there's, are tools like TubeBuddy that help you a little bit with SEO, but I never really put much focus on that. So it was just all purely organic then, like people find you because they're searching for whatever it is that you yes. put out. The traffic comes mostly through search. All right. So then in, in terms of the YouTube channel, right, something else that I was thinking. So you started, I, what are we looking at, like four years ago now? Yes. So that's like about 20, 2017, like we're recording right. 2021, so 2017, right? So do you think, you know, you released stuff, it performed pretty well, people found it, You know, you got your first hundred subscribers and then, you know, you carry on to get thousands and thousands. Do you think in 2021, people that are learning coding right now and they're like, I want to do what Florian did. Do you think that's still an option now or do you think it's like massively oversaturated? And no, it's absolutely an option. 
I don't okay. think it's I don't even think it's harder than when I started. Um, there's so much demand for it, and people there are always people that say that it's not possible anymore, but they also said that like four years ago or even earlier. No, I think it's absolutely still possible. You just have to create quality content, and that's the hard part to do that consistently. It's difficult. But if you're able to do that, then there's no reason to not start a YouTube channel and it will also grow. It, it feels to me that game development is a bit oversaturated, but I don't know if that's actually the case. But in uh, most topics, especially Android, there's so much demand that the channels that currently exist can't even keep up producing the content that people want to see. So if you want to create content, absolutely go for it. Okay. So then I guess an obvious one will be, what is like, how do you create content? Cause I watched, I watched one of your videos today, which was, um, I think it was your thoughts on Jetpack Compose and it was like a 45 minute long video, right? So in terms of that, is that literally you sit down for 45 minutes? How long does something like that take to create? So this was a different kind of video than I usually did. Usually I did real tutorials, but lately I've been experimenting with some other stuff because creating the same kind of tutorials for years on end gets a bit boring after a while. I got better over time with the process of creating videos, but of course it always takes longer. In the past, I uh, overcomplicated and overplanned my videos. So I got to a point where creating a 10 minute video or 15 minute video took a week or something like that because I was taking excessive notes. I was editing, editing it way too much. So it's a thing where you have to find a balance. Of course, you always need longer than the, uh, how long the actual video is for the whole process. But there are little uh, tricks and ways to uh, be a bit more efficient without, uh, with it. So for example, uh, one trick I, I do now is in the past, I would just hit record, record the whole tutorial, and then afterwards cut out all the stuff that I don't want to have in where I did mistakes and everything. So I often had like 90 minute long recordings and they turned into 15 minutes of actual content or something like that. But now I use a different approach that Philip Lackner actually, who was also on your podcast, um, he figured it out basically. It's a nice trick where I record my videos in short clips of 20 seconds to two minutes. And if I do a mistake, then I often just scratch this clip altogether and start over with this clip. So at the end, then I only have like 30 different little clips that I only have to cut together, but they're almost finished already. And this is way faster than recording 90 minutes in one go. Yeah. Because then you have to go for it again, find the mistakes, cut the mistakes and all that kind of stuff. Yes. And yeah, if the raw footage is 90 minutes long, then it will take way more than 90 minutes to go through all of this. Yeah, 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 yeah. That totally makes sense. So then in terms of like your tutorials, because I've seen, so you do like, at least from what I've seen, you've had like mini series, right? So you'll be like, this is how you build this thing. And there'll be like eight or 10 videos about how to build this, this specific thing. So how long does that take? Because... So when I spoke to Philip, he was like, he, he does the project and then, you know, he's got two screens. So he's got his completed project and he's basically just typing what he's already done out in front of you. So like, how do same. you, you do the same. Okay, cool. So how long does that, how long does that take to make like one of those mini courses? Well, it depends. I, I tend to be a bit too perfectionist and try to get everything right. So this often takes a long time. But this approach of preparing a project beforehand and then just typing it out in your video works really well. It's much less likely that you make mistakes, but how long it takes, it depends. I mean, I had projects where I, it took like a few weeks to prepare the project itself. And then I just, and then I just turned it into video material. And what I do is that I, uh, 
I create separate GitHub branches of this project for the separate parts of the video. And then I have exactly the code I need for this particular video in front of me at this state, which makes it even easier than having the whole project. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, every video has its own GitHub branch and people can take a look at the code there. Okay, cool. I mean, I think on, on one hand, I think you guys are a bit crazy because I would never like that. That sounds like so much work to me. And on the other hand, that's like super admirable because for me, it's like when a project is done, the thought of going back through that project to split it up into like individual pieces is just, yeah. yeah it's yeah. difficult for me as well. That's why I uh, I always had uh, problems actually uh, staying motivated to do that. And lately I've also been experimenting with some other style of videos where I don't need so much preparation just because, uh, I mean, it's fine doing this for a while, but I don't want to do this forever, basically. So I'm experimenting with some other kind of videos, like the one you mentioned earlier, where I just review my experiences with something. This needs less preparation because this is stuff I already have prepared um, from the stuff I do personally. And then I just go through it and talk about it. And this is easier. I'm, I've been experimenting with this kind of content lately. I will see how it works. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. I mean, I really like that video because I... I really like, like, I know how to do something, but I don't know if it's worth learning. And then you can watch a video like that and be like, you get to see how it works. And do I want to invest my time learning this thing? Do I want to use it or not? As opposed to like, do the whole tutorial, learn the whole thing and then decide, actually, you know, I don't need to know this. So I really like that sort of style of video. That was really interesting for me. Yeah, and it also gets way more clicks than normal tutorials. I mean, people want to see tutorials, but the problem is when you have a video series with a few parts, then the first part gets a lot of clicks, the second part gets half of them, and the last parts of the series have almost no clicks anymore, so people don't stick with it. It's really hard to get a lot of clicks with plain tutorials. People prefer watching videos where they can relax a bit more and just lean back and watch that stuff. Uh, yeah, I definitely think if you were getting bored of tutorials, that is a great avenue to go down, because also like sometimes I don't even watch the thing, I'll have it on in the background and I'm just listening but I kind of get what they're talking about. And then if something, if they say something interesting, I'll switch tabs and be like, oh, what was this about? So then that's also for me, it's kind of like a podcast, which I really like. Quick interruption. If you're a fan of the show, I'd love it if you could leave it a positive rating review in your podcast app of choice. Contrary to what you might have heard, it doesn't actually help the show be discovered, but it does provide the social proof that it's a show worth listening to. So if you have 30 seconds to spare, I'd really, really appreciate it. And now... Back to the show. And then you also mentioned, so you started doing it because, you know, you figured you could build a bit of ad revenue, right? And you can go into this as much or as little as you want. But primarily, my question would be, from starting the channel, like, is YouTube your now, is it like a side hustle? Is it your main source of income? Is it your living? Like, like where does that fit into kind of like income streams? Yeah, since I stopped the thing I did before completely when I started my channel, it's basically, it has been my full-time income ever since I started, even when I had one subscriber. Okay. Um, but I lived off savings most of the time, I have to say, for the savings from the stuff I did before while I was building this. Now I actually make enough money to uh, pay my bills, but it's not much more than that, but also because I have one course right now. So I've, I have one single paid course that is bringing in money. YouTube ad revenue alone is not enough to uh, survive from it. But yeah, this um, at the moment it's enough, and I also wanna. I mean, I know what I have to do to make more money. I would have to create more paid courses, 
but yeah, I am a bit uh, I burned out a bit doing this, doing this, and it's also very difficult to create a good course. So in the future, I want to experiment more with stuff like sponsorings, where brands, where you mention brands in your videos, because this also works really well. But I know that there are a lot of course creators, for example, in web development, that make a ton of money. You just have to be smart about it and create good courses, and then you can make a lot of money with it. But I have I haven't yet figured out really my way to make this really a good income stream. But I I'm pretty sure I will still I will figure it out eventually. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. I'm sure you will. And and like for me. Because I've been approached before um, by companies who do courses and they're like, we want an Android course, will you do it? And like I've said, I've said yes and not signed anything and then looked into it and I was like, the amount of time and effort and do I want to do this is just yeah. always been like, no, it, it always just seems like it's a good option because once you've done it, it's done, right? People are buying it. You don't have to really do anything else unless things change. But the initial effort for me is just like, I don't want to do it. Yeah, there's a lot of money in the course space, definitely, yeah. Um, there's a lot. There's more money in it than in in the. I mean, it's more likely that you make good money with courses than with your personal app, for example. But the problem is that making courses is not programming. Uh, and if you enjoy programming, then you probably. Uh, well, it doesn't mean that you enjoy making courses about programming because it's it's not just coding. It's a lot of stuff around it, like editing videos, planning the stuff, taking notes, and everything, explaining. Yeah, and I don't want to do stuff that I don't enjoy, at least not long term. I, I 100% agree with that. Like, yeah, what you said is exactly right. Coding and, excuse me, coding and um, building courses are not the same thing. Like, they're two totally, like, you could be great at building courses, know very little about coding and still come out with a great coding course. But, they're, yeah, they're not the same thing. And, and you, so you had a video out, right, which was about how to stay motivated when you were learning and your thing was like, you know, you should build stuff, which I totally agree. I think the best way to learn is to build stuff. Like, I think the tutorials are great, but you want to know how to use that in a situation where somebody's not spoon feeding you, like, this is what you do next. So, and then you, and then I know that you built an app, which you released on the Play Store. So how, like, what, how, I guess my question is kind of, how was that experience? How did that come about? And um, how did you find the the Play Store experience specifically in terms of like people finding your app? First of all, this is only a small app at the moment. I use it as a practice project. And the first thing I practiced with it was Jetpack Compose. So I uh, I practiced building UI with that. This is why also the app is very simple. It doesn't even have any online features yet. But I also want to create my own server for it and, and stuff like that to practice how to do that stuff properly. And when I started my YouTube channel, I did not do that. I did not create any apps for the Play Store. And only later I realized how much fun it is to actually build something real and put it on the Play Store and how much easier it is to stay motivated when you do that. So I think this is a nice way to learn because now even boring stuff like writing tests and learning how to write tests, which I often ignored before, even this becomes fun because you have skin in the game. You really have something you apply it to. And if you mess up, then... Uh, the users that you have will not like that. So it, it feels real and this is much more motivating to me. And yeah, I I mean, this app is, is a small project and it's pretty new. I started creating this only like a month or one and a half months ago. And I just try to create something simple that I can put on the Play Store because it feels motivating to have something out there. 
And then I wouldn't have built up from that. It was there a second part to this question or was it? No, anything? no, I think you covered it. And then um, something that you mentioned about building the server, is, is that because you want to build the back end? Because I think I, I saw you say that somewhere else. Maybe it was in the video I'm sure I saw, I'm not sure. Um, and, and I was thinking like, have you looked into like Firestore or anything like that? Um, because that's what I've used for my apps so I could specifically avoid building back end stuff. Although also there's huge limitations to it. So I guess it depends what you want to do. Yeah, I tried out Firestore in some tutorials and it's, I, I mean, it's not bad. It's just that I want to get a bit out of this ecosystem where everything is already prepared for me in the Android world. And I just want to try out other stuff. And one of those is how to build a real server, my own server, basically. But again, it's, it's mainly for learning purposes. So I don't expect this app to... Uh, become successful or anything but it feels nice to have some people that use it and it feels real enough yeah okay that's cool all right so then i guess i also wanted to ask because so you you know you have a channel teaching youtube stuff which you've learned but how do you learn specifically so you know there's people out there that go to your channel or go to someone else's channel to learn you know jetpack compose or whatever it is they're trying to learn so when like you built your app using jetpack compose how did you learn that I use the stuff I find in Google. So for Jetpack Compose, for example, I uh, use the, the learning path that Google themselves put out there. They have a, a path with some code labs and videos in it. And this was enough to learn it. And I mean, the stuff is already out there. The reason why people watch YouTube videos is because they want someone to uh, summarize it for them properly, because there's also a lot of noise out there. And I've also, I've always When I made my videos, I always tried to dig through all that noise and find the stuff that's really important and then put that in a focused, small video that only uh, mentions the stuff that actually matters. So uh, people save some more time by finding a good tutorial. But I myself, I just Google and then use everything I can find there, basically. There's not really... A, Often people ask me where I learn my stuff from as if I had some kind of secret source, yeah. but you've, I don't. You've got I the just, phone line to Google and they teach yeah, you I, I just Google that stuff. And for a lot of stuff I covered in my tutorials, I also had to uh, dig through the source code of these libraries, for example, to really understand what is happening. So not everything I cover there is already covered somewhere else. Often I had to really go search for it. But yeah, it's just opening Google, typing in what you're looking for and then going through the results okay so basically you learn the same way that everybody learned back yes. in like 2001 that's still the same i love that um and then i also wanted to talk about so jetpack compose right like i just i know you did a 45 minute video on it so people that are listening i'll link it in the show notes you can go watch it but just you know your brief kind of overview like how did you find using it and and like is i i assume the direction we're going is, you know, in a year or two years, there will be no XML layout files. But what was your experience with it? And like, how did you find it? First of all, it's not as easy as Google makes it sound sometimes in their videos, especially when it comes to side effects and all that stuff and how to handle state. But once you wrap your head around it, it is really a lot of fun. And I'm already kind of addicted to it. I don't even want to touch XML anymore. So it's really fun to build layouts like that. A lot of stuff is much easier. For example, uh, recycler view versus lazy column, how you build scrollable lists is much, much easier now. Animations are much easier. And 
I think it's less likely that you introduce bugs because of the way uh, you put state into these composables. Views like checkboxes, they don't have their own internal state that can be... A, uh, in XML, you could just put a, a checkbox into your layout and when you click it, it, it changes the checked state. But in Compose, this is different. In Compose, you have always to pass the Boolean value if this is checked or not. So this way you know that if the checkbox is checked, then the corresponding Boolean value in your view model that feeds this checkbox also has the same state. So it's not two different sources of truth that can cause weird bugs. So those are things that make this kind of layout more fun and easier to work with, I think. But again, it's not so easy to get started. But if you follow through the, the learning path they have online, you can probably put a link to that into the show notes later. If you follow through with that, then you learn most of the stuff pretty quickly. Okay, so so the other question on that was like in terms of the learning curve, how like if you already know Android, right? So if someone's listening, they already know Android. What's the learning curve switching to like building stuff in UI, uh, building stuff in code in terms of UI? Mm, um, it was not as big of a learning curve as I expected. A lot of stuff still works the same. Um, I mean, I still use view models from Jetpack. I still use Room for SQLite. The dagger hilt pretty much works the same with the model. So a lot of the stuff is still completely the same. And switching was not really as hard as I expected. Takes a few weeks, I guess, to get used to it. And that's it. Okay. And then one other question, which just popped into my head. So, because I've seen this a lot, right? So when I work on contracts, like every every job I've ever done in Android you know, they have activities, they have fragments, etc. And I see people on online and they're like, you know, you should have one activity, you should have no fragments, you should do everything with views. And like, that's that's great, but nobody that I've ever worked for does that. Do you think that Jetpack Compose opens it up so that you could have like that one activity app and everything else is just handled with like Compose and view models and stuff? In a small project like mine, uh, it is possible. So my app only has one activity and the rest is just composables. But when I talk to uh, developers that are more experienced than me and have more experience working on bigger projects, then they usually say that it's not we are not there yet where we can get rid of fragments, for example, completely. So recently I was told that there are certain situations where you still need fragments in the real app. All right, cool. So I have some listener questions and then I have some like random questions I wanted to ask you and then we, we're good to go. So... And so I asked on Twitter and so I had already, so I got this question from somebody and they basically asked me, see, when you started coding, you started your YouTube channel and the question that they asked me, and you can take this however you want, was they thought it was very brave to start a YouTube channel without knowing coding and learning as you go. And the question is essentially along the lines of, did you care about whether you got good or bad feedback as you were doing it or were you just like? focused on doing it and you, you weren't really bothered if somebody came along and was like this is wrong luckily i didn't really get much bad feedback ever basically i have like 0.5 percent bad comments and um i always made very clear from the very beginning what my current experience level is so the the, the description in my channel you can put a little text description there and i said really explicitly uh, Hey guys, I'm making content about the stuff I learned, but I'm not an experienced developer. If you watch the stuff here, just know that that I'm a beginner myself. 
I always made that very clear, but I also only made videos about stuff when I felt like I understood this a specific part. And I also always created very uh, isolated tutorials about a specific topic where I only focus on a small topic and ignore the stuff around it. For example, I made a video series just focusing on notifications. And even if you are a beginner, it's not hard to make good content about notifications if you read the documentation properly. I did not make tutorials where I built whole apps in the beginning because this was just completely out of my skill level. But this way I could always make content about stuff when I felt like I understood it properly. And this way I never really uh, uh, never really got any bad feedback or felt like I was doing much wrong. Okay. All right. That's a pretty good answer. All right, cool. And then um, another question that I got was, so this is interesting, right? Where, like, in terms of the developer scale, right? So you have, like, you know, junior, mid-level, senior, lead developer. Like, where do you see yourself on that scale? Oh, probably uh, pretty low, probably. Because, yeah, as I just said, I focused often on these small topics on my channel. But this also... Uh, Uh, turned into a problem later because then somewhere around 2019 2020 i realized that i i know all the stuff about these little features and apis i know a lot about notifications a lot about broadcast receivers but i realized hey i'm not actually able to build a real app with real architecture this was something i uh, it was a mistake i focused too much on specific small things instead of the whole picture and I am tr- I've been trying to uh, focus more on that in the last one or two years. But when it comes to building a real app, I still consider myself an absolute beginner. So I, I don't think I can uh, build a real production app properly yet. Yeah, I mean, I find that super interesting because if anybody asked me what level you are, I would be like, you are a mid to a senior developer Actually, I don't even know what these terms really mean. I think this is more of a... Yeah, so so I, I guess uh, I guess the best way to explain it is like if you were to go out and get a job as a developer, you would have, you know, junior would be like they come in, they expect, you know, you're expected to need a lot of coaching and make mistakes and stuff. Mid-level is like you can do the work, but you might take a bit longer than everyone else. Senior is like they should be able to give you anything and you can do it. And then lead developer is basically a senior developer, but you can also manage the team and tell them like, you do this, you do this, this is what you did wrong and coach people and stuff. So if you were to ask me, I would say like, you are a mid to a senior level developer for sure. But we we can have a difference of opinion on that. It's fine. Maybe junior to mid or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, I just think it's super interesting because for, for sure, you know more about Android development than I do which would mean that you like for sure I, I know that to be true because I know that you like you look at it as like in order to build a whole app that's a different that's a different thing but in terms of like a work environment you don't build a whole app you build parts of the app and you already know how to do that yeah I guess that's true yeah so I, I just I just find it super interesting because everybody sees themselves differently than how other people see them so I thought that was just an interesting um, train of thought. But this is one danger of uh, doing it like me, where you uh, create your channel and then do this full-time from the beginning. Besides some small freelance projects I tried my hands on, I never had a real Android job. And it's it easily happens that you uh, don't uh, learn the real life stuff. 
instead you learn what you think you should learn and this can be a bit dangerous you can focus on the wrong stuff but i think the job market for android is also not as great here in germany as it is in the us for example and yeah i try to stay self-employed but i focus more on building real projects and yeah this is why i started putting an app out there and try to uh, grow it so i get this real experience of building a real app yeah no th that totally makes sense to me and then just on a side note of that have you ever thought about you know becoming an android developer for somebody or like is that something that you're interested in or not or you just want to do the self-employed stuff mm, no i'm i'm i do consider it but i think being self-employed is usually more interesting and you are more able to uh, design your work and your days in the way you want you have more freedom on on what exactly you do and i'm a bit afraid that maybe uh, having a job in programming takes the fun out of it again because i don't do the stuff i actually want to do so i try to stay self-employed and i think there are enough options to uh, keep doing that yeah yeah I, i would agree with you yeah like I, i'm like 50 50 i do freelance work so technically i'm self-employed And I only do short gigs because of that reason where if it gets boring, I know I'm only here for like two months and I can leave. Otherwise, yeah, I, I would never take like a long term job because I've, I would feel like at some point you get bored of what you're doing and there's no option to do anything else. And then you've just put yourself in a box where it's just like, oh, I just do this and I just maintain this app that's like five years old. So yeah, freelancing is something I want to do more of, but it's actually uh, hard to find jobs that are that have a reasonable pay and even with my large um, reach it's hard for me to uh, uh, i mean i often get offers from people that want me to work on something but they have completely the wrong idea about it i think a whole app costs 30 dollars or something like that yeah yeah yeah. i yeah. would like to build uh, to work on a real project again but it's hard to find a good offer when it comes to that but yeah i think that's a good way to uh, get more real life experience without Uh, having to stick with the same company forever basically or for many years yeah for sure for sure i mean i'll i'll add you on linkedin and if i have anybody approach me that is hiring that is like willing to hire someone in germany i'll hook you up and we'll i don't have linkedin actually <laughs> i never saw i never saw i never saw a reason to create one for some reason I mean, that probably makes sense if you wasn't looking for employment. All right, if anything comes along, I'll, I'll send you a DM. And then if you're interested, you can, you can holler at them. We'll get right back to the show. But first, I just wanted to remind you that if you're enjoying this episode, if you feel it's bringing you value, then it would mean a lot to me if you shared it with a friend or fellow developer. That's it. Just hit the share button in your podcast app of choice and you know what to do. Now, back to the show. So you you know you work with Jetpack Compose. Have you had any like experience playing around with Flutter? No experience at all. And I also have never I haven't ever typed Flutter into Google. <laughs> Not because I have any problem with it, just because I didn't find it interesting to look into that yet. I felt like there's already enough I have to learn about Android, so I ignored Flutter. But there are many people that like it, so it seems interesting. Maybe the app I, I have built right now because it's so simple. And it doesn't use any uh, specific platform features like Bluetooth or stuff like that. Maybe this would be uh, better made in Flutter because then you have an iOS app as well. And the stuff this app does, you can probably do it as easy in Flutter as on native Android, I guess. So maybe this is an example for an app that should be uh, should make sense to be built in Flutter with Flutter. Yeah, maybe maybe that will be your next challenge. Just like clone it over to Flutter and see how it goes. But at the moment, I find KMN uh, KMM 
Kotlin Multi. Oh, how is it called? Co- oh, KMP. Multi- yeah, uh, KMP. Kotlin Multi Platform. But why do I have often hear KMM? That's Kotlin Multi Platform Mobile or something. I've like also, that. yeah, I've also seen that too, and it's just clicked that I know what it was, yeah. but it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, um, this seems more interesting to me right now, just for personal preference. Okay, so have you? I assume have you played around with that or not yet? Okay, yeah, but that's what I would try out next. Yeah. Because I remember looking at that like two, maybe three years ago, and it wasn't where it was now. And now it seems like it's a very, uh, like, much more mature thing that you could actually use to build cross-platform stuff without, yeah, but, like, before there was tons of caveats where you couldn't do stuff, and now it doesn't seem like that. Yeah, but I think it's more difficult than Flutter, right? Mm, Flutter yeah. is probably more simple. Yeah, I think if I was going to build cross-platform apps and I had the time to, like, learn it, I would be looking at Flutter because it does both. And from everything that I've seen, there isn't that many drawbacks. There's not that much you can't do in across both platforms pretty easily. But yeah, I think KMM also is cool if you have like a, if you wanted to involve the back end, because then you could do like front end stuff and the back end and they could all share the same code, which I think is pretty cool. Flutter also has a high demand on YouTube, I think. Definitely more than native Android. Flutter tutorials tend to get a lot of clicks. Yeah, Flutter has been like the buzzword for like two years at least. For sure. So I don't see that going away. But then also, so you worked with Unity, right? What was your experience like with that? And the reason I asked is, so I worked for a company maybe like two years ago, and they wanted to rewrite the Android app and the iOS app just in Unity. They didn't want to have like recycler views. They wanted every, it, was, it wasn't like, a, like a, a game. It was just an app. And they wanted to rewrite the whole thing in Unity because then they could have cross-platform and it works. So my so I'm mostly interested in what was your experience and do you think that Unity is a good option for anything outside of like an actual game? I didn't even know that you can do that, that you can Appar- build apparently you normal can, yeah. apps with Unity. No, I was just playing around with game development and it was fun for a while, but game development is not something I want to keep doing because you need to know much more stuff than just coding. There is even more other stuff that you need to know. You can't even make a game if you don't have any graphics for it, for example. So it was fun for a while, but app development is actually more fun. But as I said, I didn't know that you can build real apps with Unity. That's interesting. So I I would say you can do it. I don't know if it's a good option to do it because I remember looking into it and even the Unity guys were saying, yes, you could do it, but we couldn't find anybody that could actually tell you how to do it. So it was like this, you know, theoretically you could do it, but whether anybody actually bothers to do it or not, I don't know. I imagine it to be difficult because in Unity, when you build UI, for example, you had to do a lot of stuff yourself. Like, for example, there were, were no tabs out of the box where you can tap between different screens. You had to code it yourself. And if I imagine building a whole app like that, this can be pretty difficult. Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. Well, that settles that for me then. I'm glad I did not go that route. And then I have a one final question or, or two final questions, actually. So one of them is, so you started learning Android, you know, like four years ago now, you have a really successful YouTube channel. You have one course out, you're building apps now because you enjoy it. Um, and the keyword that you've said this whole time is like, you like to do things that are fun. So what is it that you like about Android so much that keeps you continuing to do this? I don't think it's Android specific. It's just coding itself is fun for me. Like, building something real this is fun working on this app i have this is fun and there's no real reason why it is fun it's just it feels intrinsically fun to me yeah and this is basically why i keep that i don't really have anything else to say about that other than i enjoy coding okay 
All right, oh, cool. I think we can leave it there then. So then the last question I have, super random, but I got I stole this from another podcast, so I'm, I'm going to ask you this one, which was, what is something that you have changed your mind about recently? Um, oh, that's, that's a tough question. I don't know if I can come up with something from the top of my head. I mean, we could go recently as in like the last few years, if you have anything that you can think of. Are we talking only about programming or life anything, in general? Anything, anything. What did I change? Um, it's really hard to uh, come up with something right now. It is now. really hard, right? That's what I thought it was a great question. Even I was thinking like, what happens if you ask it back to me and I don't have an answer yet? Okay, so uh, um, first of all, maybe we can say that we had to uh, make this take twice because I didn't come up with something in the first time. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's interesting. Um, but I now came up with something and that is, I think I put too much emphasis on discipline in the past. I think having fun before to do is equally as important as discipline to become good. And I think there's too much emphasis on discipline. Discipline is important in small doses at very specific times. For example, when you are, when you are sit on the couch and you know you should go to the gym, but you don't want to, then it's a time for discipline. Or when you pick something healthy to eat instead of something unhealthier. But in the past, I tried to go through my whole workday with discipline and doing stuff I didn't want to do just because I thought this is how it's supposed to work. You, you go through it with discipline. You power through it. But after a while, I realized that this just makes you feel miserable. <laughs> There's nothing really good to find there and it never stops feeling miserable. So I think... Having fun with what you do is equally as important and you should search for something that you enjoy. And I think most people that really get good at something, they tend to enjoy it at least some of the time. So this is something I changed my mind about. Discipline is not as important as I thought. That's awesome. All right, cool. That, is, that, that, was, worth, that was worth the wait. Okay. Sure. <laughs> so then I guess I guess the last last question is um where can people find you online um Twitter social media all that good stuff yeah okay so my YouTube channel is called coding and flow three words and on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and since lately also on TikTok my I have accounts and they all have the username coding and flow in one word or lowercase that's basically where you find me everywhere Twitter slash coding and flow, Facebook slash coding and flow, and so on. Huge thanks to today's guest, Florian Wolfer, aka Coding and Flow. You can find him on Twitter at Coding and Flow, on TikTok at Coding and Flow, on Instagram at Guess Coding and Flow. And of course, make sure you check out his YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Coding and Flow or hit the link in the show notes. And that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or fellow developer. And if you really want to support the show, you can do so with a coffee donation at coffeeencodingpod.com forward slash donate. And if you don't want to miss future episodes of the show, make sure you follow or subscribe in your podcast app of choice. Thanks for listening. And I'll catch you on the next episode of the Coffee Encoding Podcast. Coffee Encoding Podcast.